0: Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Behind the Yellow Line, a baseball podcast. I'm your host, Randall Sanders. Happy to be joined, as always, by Jeremy Specter and by Ronan O'Shea. Find us on Twitter at at BTYL podcast. Give us a follow and give us your thoughts in whichever order you so choose. Ronan, Jeremy, how are we doing this evening?
1: Double jabbed. Double jab, boys. Double jab. So you're double protected now. I'm, I'm all kinds of protected.
2: Double jabbed. I actually was, uh, had some curiosity, but before we go on, I wanted to ask. Uh, so I was looking at the rundown here, you know, for our pod today. And uh, I noticed, Randall, you don't have anywhere. We're talking about uh, David Kaplan, the Catman being inducted into the Chicagoland Sports Hall of Fame. Ooh, well, Jeremy, at we what can, point we're discussing in, that
0: in post-production, I can edit in the sound of like a toilet flushing or maybe a donkey braying. I thought you'd be all can- over that. And we can um, we can we can say that doubles as discussion of Mr. Kaplan's induction into the Chicago. I land thought you might sports want to honor Hall his
2: legacy for his Chicago uh, again, Land. Sports. Again,
0: the sound of a toilet flushing or perhaps a braying ass would be the perfect way to honor his legacy.
1: <laughs> oh
0: God! Yep, he's been around asked, a long
1: time, man. Longevity, like Yachty.
0: He's like heartburn. You <laughs> I, asked, I answered. uh' Duana, got the you the double you got yeah, Ronan, you got double jabbed. So you have a, a third round of protection against COVID and you have
1: yeah. this year's round of protection against the flu. Good for you. I got I got jabbed, Randall. Same arm.
2: They offered you know, they said,
1: Do you go right? Do you go left? Do you want to go one and one? Um, beat me up pretty good, but I'm feeling better. I'm on the mend. And now I feel kind of, you know, I've got that Jeremy swagger walking on campus in the down step. at Champagne, the pep in the step, and and uh, I'm gonna feel good. I got some some Activities coming up in the next couple of weeks, and I'll feel better about being out and about with the uh, round three of the Pfizer. Yeah, well, liking, uh,
0: There is no there's joke. no adrenaline like
2: the kind we get from recording behind the yellow line. You'll be licking doorknobs in no time. Oh yeah, sure. and hey,
1: red line, red line, handrails.
2: Oh yeah, get
1: That's get
0: all the
2: strength. get all the germs in there. You're protected.
0: Yeah. Well, Rona, you, you told us yesterday that you were sitting for the, the mandatory evaluation, the uh, supervision time after you get, of course, a dose of the vaccine, as all sites require. You said you had about five minutes left in your supervision. I suggested that you be supervised far longer than that. Yeah. But as always, I defer to the on-scene experts in that regard.
1: Yeah, you know, I, there I was in pain, having been double stabbed, and you were insulting me as I was looking for support. But uh, that's how things go. It's a cold off season here in baseball, and Randall's bringing that cold wind at me all the time. By the that's way, it's
2: me. Nothing but cold wind. There I was. It's not a rival of ours, but that is like my dad's favorite podcast. It's about pilots who find themselves in in harsh predicaments while piloting their airplanes.
1: Ooh, they go, "There I was," and
2: they tell a story about time they almost got in a crash or something. Yikes! Not really our rival, but no, interesting.
0: No. <laughs> Well, in the week since we last convened, the Cubs have filled out their new look front office even more, hiring away S. N. Bocari from the Houston Astros, formerly their assistant GM. Jeremy, I know, is a big fan of this guy. He is a former professor at the University of Illinois. He was in the Dodgers front office. Two degrees, of- Randall. Two degrees. That's right, not from just Illinois. one degree. Two degrees. He has a from very Illinois. impressive, a very impressive uh, educational background from them. He was in the Los Angeles Dodgers front office from 2015 to 2018. The Astros hired him in 2018 and there he stayed until the Cubs hired him uh, just this week, as Jeremy said he has an extensive educational background degrees in mathematics and statistics, and this was a new one for me Jeremy, he has a PhD in quantitative
2: psychology do you have any idea what that means. Uh, Not particularly, but I have some ideas. (laughs) Okay. I don't
0: know what it means either. Ronan, I know you, you love psychology. You love analyzing people. So I
1: analyze you, Randall.
0: You do Ronan day in, day in, day out, night in and night out. You do. His front office background is in research and development and also in amateur pro and international player evaluation. So Jeremy, I know you're real up on some of the up and coming front office members across the league. What's your read on this hire?
2: Well, as you mentioned, I'm uh, a uh, big fan of any you get a little line-eye up there in, uh, in Cubs land. Uh, as I said, two degrees, two graduate degrees from the University of Illinois, his master's and his PhD were from the University of Illinois, and he uh, was a visiting professor for one of those years as well. Um, I mean, I'm not super familiar with Essen, but from just reading up on him and seeing him, he seems like a pretty, uh, actually a very smart guy, (laughs) very intelligent guy. Uh, And I like this hire a lot. Obviously, you look at the Dodgers, you look at the Astros. Those are the two, you know, arguably the two best teams, maybe the Rays over the last five years in terms of just developing players and always being there at the end of the year. But one thing I found interesting is, you know, he's a big believer in analytics, obviously. Right. But he also from reading him, he believes you can get too hamstrung by the analytics. Like analytics aren't the end all to everything. Like you also have to take into account the other side, you know, be more wide ranging, not just go by treating analytics as a God and just doing everything they say. So, and I'm assuming that some of what he has in that PhD in quantitative psychology is, you know, just being having a more holistic approach and being more, you know, wide ranging and things and and not just being dedicated straight to math and i think that's an interesting aspect to bring to the cubs a different flavor obviously the dodgers as i said the astros great organizations you get carter hawkins from the indians i like bringing in guys from different organizations that have different viewpoints learn different things so i think i think it's a great hire and different organizations that win yes. five
1: straight final fours for houston they got a chance for another world series and the criticism about what they did last time is certainly fair and you cannot like the players on that team you cannot like the franchise but you can't argue the fact that Houston's been very good at developing talent up to the major league level and winning baseball games. And so Mr. I'm with you, Jeremy. Um, it's too bad he's in Illini, but he's obviously <laughs> got a really impressive resume. The Cubs are moving into a different era of this front office now. This is Jed's team, and he's bringing in clearly well-respected and very intelligent people in the front office. So and... at this point, no concerns from me.
0: Mr. Bokari wasn't even in the Houston organization in 2017. So problem solved there. You guys both hit it right on the nose, I think. Um, I think the game moves in cycles. I think obviously for the longest time, it was all about scouting. It was all about what you could see in a player. And then I think it shifted in the other direction entirely to scouting and to saber metrics. And I think at this point, front offices realize you need a balance of the two. And as Jeremy pointed out, he has extensive experience in uh, statistical matters, but he also comes from a, uh, a lot of scouting work and that's a great balanced mind to have in your front office. So it seems like uh, we're all in agreement. This is a good hire by the Cubs to be Jed Hoyers or at least to be uh, the, the number three, probably one of the number threes yeah. in this organization.
2: Yeah, I, you know, obviously with Randy Bush moving on, that opened up this slot that uh, Essen was able to to fill, and they have um, they already had you know two assistant general managers that were that were staying on, um, but you know, I, I Theo, as Theo would say early on in his tenure here, you know, you have to marry the scouting and and the analytical, the statistical basis, and so I, I it just seems like a, a smart hire. Um, as Ronan said, obviously coming from Houston, you know, that's a team that wins and the Dodgers, they're teams that win. So I think it's interesting that Jed is looking at those development teams to bring people in.
1: You know, I also hope this is a sign that the Cubs are beginning to kind of fill up the front office. Again, a lot of jobs were eliminated with COVID a lot of full-time executives, scouts in the Cubs organization were removed the season was cut short and revenues were down so i hope this is a sign that tom ricketts and the family is getting serious about building back up the front office and they don't all have to be high level executives somebody of this stature but just sort of getting back to where they were pre-covid we know there's financials in question with the cba up in the air right now i think it's a good sign though that some of these positions are filling cubs didn't have a, a, a general manager for the last year that's unprecedented so it's nice to see the front office filling up again
2: yeah and, and- that's kind of been the way that baseball had been trending uh the last few years, probably over the last decade. COVID just uh, exacerbated it because it was able to, but a lot of scouting departments had been, you know, kind of shrunk, uh, tr- And some have been eliminated for various teams. And a lot, there's a lot more video nowadays um, where I, for, like advanced scouting is almost gone and everything's done on video nowadays. And to me, I feel like if you have the money for it, uh, and you' you're better you're, it's an advantage to have as many people around as possible. So I would think that you would want to have a big front office. You would want to bring in as many uh, differing minds. I, obviously, you don't want to be hamstrung with people arguing and you know too many you know cooks in the kitchen or whatever. But it's good to have kind of a bigger uh, front office. I, I, when Jim Hendry was here, the, the Cubs had like one of the, the smallest front offices yeah. in baseball. I remember reading, you know, when they hired Andy McPhail, that the Tribune Company offered him more money. They said, hey, you can hire more people. Man, McPhail's like, no, we're good, man. We got the, this tight group of people. We're good. We don't need to bring anybody else in. And to me, I'm like, well, you, yeah, bring as many people as you, you want. As I mean, smart guys that you know understand things. So I think I think it's a good sign to be hiring people.
1: And it was not just the baseball operations side when Tom came oh, yeah. over. I mean, at literally every facet of the Cubs front office. When you look back at the Cubs front office, even in the mid-2000s, It was one of the smallest in major league baseball and again i'm not just talking baseball operations, but ticket sales and marketing Community relations all that stuff. Um, kind of in a way, like the bears have a pretty small front office compared to other NFL teams there's some parallels in there it's just sort of unique to me that. It wasn't that long ago, on one hand, but it feels like a completely different sport 15 years ago, the way front offices were designed the things continue to evolve i've got confidence. That this front office, particularly the baseball operations side, this is a good group of people. Very intelligent. They've got resources to work with. This is something that we've wanted in Chicago. Payroll is going to be one thing. I don't know if it's going to be as high as we want this year. But I want to see the Cubs continue to be a front-of-the-line front office organization. A team that makes a lot of money but does innovative things and are at the top of the game like the Dodgers have been for the last decade in the West.
2: Definitely, and joking about the bear that you ever get a Bears media guide, you open it up. Everybody in the front office is named McCaskey, and every job <laughs> oh, it's just man. like a McCaskey hiring thing. Um, But you know, as yeah, yeah, you're totally right. When Theo came in, they modernized the entire Cubs front office, and you know they were working in small little rooms, and back and everything was old, and you know they built a nice office across the street office building. So I have faith in Jed. I actually have faith in Tom. You know, I don't think I think Tom. On the business side, he you know. I think I think he knows what he's doing. He knows how to make money. I don't think he's really going to be a guy who's just going to build all this stuff and then hamstring his own team in a way where he's not going to be able to make money. I, I have faith that he's going to... I mean, I agree with you. Maybe we're not going to get a $200 million payroll this year, but I, I think he's, he's interested in making money. And one way to do that is having a Woody baseball team. One
0: more point I'm before sure. we wrap up this particular segment is Essen was credited with building and strengthening the Dodgers research and development department when he was in that front office. So Ronan, you make the point, you want forward thinking individuals. And here's an individual who has an extensive background in research and development and how to make your analysis of the game better. So it seems like this is a strong hire for the Cubs and hopefully it reflects in their eventual on-field product that we hopefully get next season. Well, last week, we promised you an Arizona Fall League update on some of the Cubs prospects playing down there for the Mesa Solar Sox. Uh, It's been a rough fall for pitching prospects Caleb Killian and Ryan Jensen. Killian has only pitched uh, two innings, I'm sorry to say, and neither of them went particularly well. Uh, And Ryan Jensen's also had a rough fall. He's only pitched four and a third. He struggled to get hitters out a a fair bit, but he did pitch four scoreless innings last night. Of note is young outfielder Nelson Velasquez, who spent 2021 at South Bend and Tennessee. That's high A and double A, and he's having a great fall in 45 plate appearances for the Mesa Solar Sox, Ronan's new favorite team. He has two homers, four doubles, eight RBI, and he's slashing 395, 489, and 698. Jeremy, I know, again, you're the minor league guy. You're the prospect guy. What's Nelson Velasquez's trajectory going from here, going into next season?
2: Well, last, yeah, last time we talked about this, I brought up Nelson. I, I, he was a guy for me that, you know, who came, he kind of burst onto the scene uh, this year, especially when he moved up to double A. I would also like to point out Killian, he's pitched more than two innings. He had a really good uh, um, outing the other day. He came in in relief of Jensen, and uh, he struck out like six over three um, with no walks. Uh, but uh, he, he, Nelson Velasquez, he, he, he seems like, you know, he's hitting for more power. He was a fifth-round pick out of Puerto Rico as I said, he got, he got to Tennessee um, and he kind of just kind of started going off and he was a guy who seemingly has played himself into being a real prospect or somebody, you know, who you're seriously looking at um, now, as opposed to being more organizational guy. And I I don't know, I think it's pretty good to have another outfield prospect. He might be ending up on the 40 man uh, with the way he's playing. So uh, he's been on fire really, really since he, he jumped up to Tennessee And it's really nice to see a Cubs uh, hitting prospect really break out because this hasn't been a great year kind of um, in that regard. So it's nice to see somebody start crushing it. Well, Jeremy, that's, that's my mistake.
0: Uh, Baseball reference had him having pitched two innings in the AFL this year. So clearly that is incomplete. Ronan, what do you have?
1: I was going to say, it would be nice if we could watch it. (laughs) You're saying, you know, it's nice to see these guys having a good, uh, or, you know, putting together some, some decent games, It's just such a bummer that they aren't televised. I saw that uh, MLB TV, I think today, it might have even been yesterday, is picking up Dominican Winter League games. That is correct. I'm interested in watching that. Can we get three cameras in these beautiful spring trading ballparks so we can see what's going on down there? Is that too much to ask, Tom Ricketts?
2: You would think they have cameras in there.
1: Well, I mean, they do. They must not think there's any market for it, but – there's got to be enough of us out there to justify paying a couple of interns 15 you could stream it
2: over online
1: oh no question yeah Yeah. you don't it doesn't have to be like on ml it doesn't have to be a world-class broadcast like even some spring training broadcasts aren't all that great from a production standpoint just give us something what you end up getting is you're on twitter you're typing in players names and you're seeing clips from the press box or from the stands it's just not the same. I would like to see these games on TV, but I will be checking out the Dominican Winter League because that sounds pretty cool.
0: Absolutely. The, the atmosphere in the Dominican Winter League is legendary and good for MLB for doing something to get those games uh, more easily streamed. Uh, maybe next week we can go over some of the uh, Dominican Winter League teams. We can all pick a team and we can bandwagon them throughout the winter.
2: Maybe they don't want to show it because they're having all these new rules and they're having issues with the new rules. (laughs) Where part of the reason why these pitchers are throwing, you know, 800 walks is because the strike zone is set so small with the automatic strike zone. You think they're they're covering up their own mistakes, huh? Well, I I don't know. I'm just saying who wants to watch uh, pitchers throw eight walks in a row or whatever was going on the other day where no balls were being called strikes. (laughs) You know, a pitcher like Caleb Killian is probably a guy who tries to nibble a little bit. And that's probably a big reason why his walk rate is so up is because with the automatic zone, uh, he's probably not getting those calls on the black. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And
0: Jeremy, you pointed out that the Cubs may end up having to roster Nelson Velasquez on the 40 man roster. That's usually a deadline that comes about late in November. And that's often what teams will use. The AFL four is giving these guys one more showcase, deciding whether to put them on the 40 man or potentially leave them unprotected if they are rule five eligible.
2: Yeah. Definitely. Uh, the Arizona Fall League, you know, um, a lot of top prospects, as we talked about, a lot of guys that are more advanced, you know, double A really. Um, and so it, it's a big time league. It's a real league for guys to evaluate uh, or organizations to evaluate their talent and to see who, you know, who's going to play because you're facing against real competition. Like everybody in there is, for the most part, a top prospect. Now, the Cubs didn't really send guys that are like top 100 prospects like most teams did, but uh, there's still guys that, you know, the Cubs are interested in and can be a Caleb Killian or Ryan Jensen. Those are guys that the Cubs are probably going to try to bank on at, l- at least a little bit. I mean, you get this, is a guy you get for Chris Bryan in a first round draft pick, So they're guys that are important to the Cubs organization.
1: You know, and it's a bit of a sprint too. It's just a month's worth of games. This is coming after these players have completed their single air, their double a season. So they're in shape. They've been stretched out and all the things that they need to do to be able to compete. Um, it's really a neat thing that this month exists. And it is something that I think that there is an interest for, not just on TV or streaming on the internet, um, but as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I, I would think that people would want to go to some of these games if they could turn it into a festive environment. And I always think about just all the schools down there, get some shuttles from ASU over to Mesa, do dollar beer night. You're going to get some college kids out there. You could have a lot of fun with that. And those athletes are about the same age that they are anyway. Yeah. I think it would be very compelling. I think there's a, an opportunity for that. And um, it would be great fun to be down there and to get to take in some of these games because the talent on the field is exceptional. These are high-level players. It's very likely these players are going to be in the major leagues in the next couple of years. You're getting a chance to see them competing in world-class spring training ballparks. I think that's something, too, in the last 15 years. The facilities, particularly spring training facilities, completely different from where they were 12, 15 years ago. And it's a great opportunity for these players in those ballparks.
2: Speaking of, uh, you know, the universities down there and these players being college aged uh, the Texas Rangers did something I thought that was interesting. And I'm not sure really how common it is Uh, in their instructional league. They were playing games against those universities against Arizona state against uh, colleges like that, not really playing games against, you know, other like the Cubs played, you know, five, six games against the angels, the A's or whatever. I think the Rockies too, three teams, but uh, Texas was playing all these different universities. So I thought that was kind of an interesting thing cool. they were doing. And uh, one other thing, I, if I recall, uh, didn't Kyle Schwarber use the Arizona Fall League to rehab, to get back into world yes. series shape. So you, who knows who's going to end up playing that down there and get back up two games.
1: Yeah. In the Arizona fall league before going out to Cleveland.
2: And that was interesting because Kyle Schorber was able to do that because he still had whatever rookie eligibility or whatever to go out there and play. Well, Jeremy, that's, that's a good catch. The organization's playing against
0: some of the collegiate teams down there. It reminds me of uh, the beginning of each spring training where you see the pirates played Manatee junior college or uh, whoever's down there in Florida. Well, we mentioned the rule five draft a moment ago, something that usually takes place at the winter meetings. And there is some chatter that the winter meetings could be in jeopardy. Once again, ahead of the, what, Most people seem to be anticipating as a lockout of some duration coming up when the CBA expires on December 1st. There was a report from Bill Madden of the New York Daily News earlier this week that the winter meetings scheduled to be in Orlando this season have already been canceled. There's been nothing official since, so it sounds like it is just chatter for now, but another uh, unfortunate omen in what is sure to be a messy offseason. Ronan, I know you've been the most bullish on the fact that they will get something done. they The owners do not want a COVID season 2020. They don't want a COVID adjacent season in 2021 and then a no season in 2022. How worried are you at this point?
1: I'm getting there. Um, I I'm, Maybe I'm optimistic. Maybe I'm projecting a, a little bit of anxiety that I really don't want there to not be baseball come April 1st. I think a normal spring training is really important as well. That said, there's no chance there's going to be an agreement made by the time this thing expires 1159 p.m. Eastern on December 1st. there is going to be a work stoppage. The question is, can they get it figured out in time for spring training for a chunk of spring training will we get a full 162 games next season so. I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of things that they're disagreeing on. I think that we should enjoy this next week of world series baseball, and hopefully Atlanta can beat Houston and, and uh, we don't have to see the cheaters have another championship, but I'm definitely worried. The the owners and players have some big time disagreements and we're talking about billions of dollars on the line here too. That's what's going to be argued. It's going to set the tone for much of the next decade of what revenue is going to look like in major league baseball. That worries me. There's no shortage of money, but there's no necessary uh, peace there between owners and players and what they're going to do with that money. And that's worrisome. Um, But to your point, the saving grace, I think, is I don't think the players or owners want another season of impacted lower revenue. And that, to me, is the most optimism I'm bringing into this that they're going to work something out because they need a full spring training, they need a full season, and they need to build up some momentum. Uh, Playoff viewership has been very, very good, with the exception of Game 1 of the World Series. Uh, Playoff viewership this year is sitting at about 4.5 million people per game. That's up from last year, certainly with COVID. It's up from the year before. So there's some positive trends in baseball. They just got to figure out how to divvy up these billions and billions of dollars.
2: Yeah, uh, I'm not exactly sure, like, um, how this is gonna go. I uh, it'll be interesting to see because last time I remember, I believe in 2016, and I'm, I'm not saying this is gonna happen, but uh, I, th- I think they they got the deal done like right at the deadline, like right when it was about because there was some talk about whether or not you know it would be an issue, and then they got it done like right away, or not right away, excuse me, but minutes with minutes to spare, and and I, for the most part, everybody thought kind of. Players kind of gotten, you know, taken it. It was taken to them a little bit, like so. I, I thought maybe the players gave away too much, a little bit, just to make sure that everything was fine and good, and there was no work stoppage. It seemed like not having a work stoppage was the most important thing, and and it is an important thing. Like you don't want to have a work stoppage. It's not a good thing. Uh, baseball hasn't had a work stoppage since 1994, and that's a great thing that uh, we haven't been had that issue which was a, a major issue for a long time in the late 60s 70s and 80s and into the 90s like there were tons of work stoppages in 1990 uh there was a lockout and which will probably be the most similar to this year where it be- was in january and and through february and it ended up going through april early april and games had to be postponed games had to be uh, remade up later, they got 162 game season in, but it ended up going into April and before there was an agreement and um that's not something you would want to happen because then you get whatever. They, there was like a two week spring warm up period and like it was just a mess. So uh, it'll be interesting because obviously the players are going to fight back. I mean, the average salary has gone down over time. Uh, the players are getting a lesser share of the the pie than they got previously. It's It's going down. I think the players, especially after what happened last year, I think they're in a position where they, okay, they want to make their mark. They're not going to just, you know, just for peace, just for labor peace, um, give in. So I, it's going to be, it's going to be a fight. And I, I, I hope it doesn't get to February, March, where we're like, what's the end game here? Uh, hopefully they can, I mean, they've been talking for over a year. They've been having discussions. We know that. So hopefully it's not a, a, a highly contested fight and it's not a, a huge argument. I, it'd be nice to st- still see the winter meetings going on, but it's, I don't know how teams are going to be able to make transactions. You know, if there's going to be an imminent labor stoppage, so um, or work stoppage. So it, it's going to be, it's going to be a messy off season.
0: Yeah. This has been building for a number of years. I, I know it came to the forefront in that uh, 2018, 2019 off season where you had two marquee free agents who didn't sign until late in the offseason, well into March, and all sorts of talk about the owners not spending money. This has been building for a number of years, and we've come to the deadline where they're either going to figure it out or they won't. Uh, I'm I'm starting to get worried, too. You know, I, I was a little optimistic because we had reports that the, the two sides were talking. And, you know, we know that they, they have an impetus to get a deal done because neither side wants a work stoppage. But uh, as Ronan said, we're going to get to the deadline without any agreement. The question is how long that stoppage will be. You hope that they're kind of at the point where they say, okay, we've got this mostly figured out. We can operate for another week under the existing rules until we get a new one signed. But yeah, I'm, I'm starting to get a little worried too. And this is a a key issue, by the way, as this is a key labor issue, this will not be a player strike. This is a lockout. A lockout is specifically ownership, stopping the labor from working. Uh, A strike is the opposite is the labor refusing to work. And I think that's very important as we discuss this, going forward that we frame it in the proper terms, it is a lockout because you're going to have a lot of people out there, a lot of mouthpieces doing their best to frame this as, oh, the players are greedy. The players want more money. And that's not what this is. The players want their fair shake. So this will be a lockout, not a strike. And that, that may seem like semantics, but I think it's a key issue that we differentiate between the two.
1: And the financials are way off. Like it's not close. There is a major, major rift between owners and players, even when it comes down to to properties that ownership owns that doesn't get counted in major league revenue like hotels that Tom Ricketts owns or uh, McGregor or not McGregor, but here at McGregor Square that Dick Monfort owns. If you've got a hotel across the street from your ballpark, you can't possibly say that that revenue isn't tied into the team, but that's exactly what's happening and the players aren't seeing that. So players are going to want an even larger cut of the money that's actually showed to them and they've got a case for it, I mean everybody gets distracted by the mega contracts and the huge deals that certain guys get. But you've got to understand in baseball minor leaguers don't get paid they get paid horrible horrible wages in your first couple of years in the league. You're not making money as a big leaguer, even if you're an all-star or an MVP candidate or a top-tier player. It takes multiple years. And in the case of the current CBA, six years of active time in the majors before you get the free agency. And if you're pushing 31, 32 at that point, teams aren't giving you these major deals like they maybe handed out in the 90s. So this the the cards and the piles of money are stacked against the players, despite the fact that some players like Tatis have these mega, mega hundred, you know, hundreds of millions of dollar deals. So I'm worried about that because there's a lot of money on the line here and the players have legitimate grievances. So fingers crossed, Jeremy, you said it right. Let's let, let's not let this get into February or March, but there's no way this thing's getting resolved by December 1st.
2: Yeah. I I mean, I don't think so. I agree with you. I I don't think it will. I'm I'm hopeful it will. I mean, like I, like, you know they've been talking for over a year but obviously the economic issues will probably be the biggest thing and that's probably what they're most um off on and so it's going to be december but the thing that actually interests me is what happens during that time period are because are, are there going to be players that sign like i could see players wanting not to wait it out like smaller players that probably aren't going to get major mega contracts you know not your Corey seekers or your Carlos Correa's, but there might be guys that just like, okay, I want to be somewhere and somebody's giving me an offer and I'm just going to take it. Cause I don't know what, uh, there's so much, too much uncertainty out there. So I, uh, it's going to be interesting to see if there are players that, you know, sign maybe mid tier or lower tier free agents sign in December sign in January, just to be somewhere. So I think
1: that's exactly what it will be. The one year 5 million for a guy in the pen or a, a deal like that for an extra outfielder or a backup infielder, no major moves and I don't think the trade front is going to be particularly active until they figure out you know what the rules are going to look like. Um, with that in mind, I think one of the easier agreements that's going to be made is the we and we've sort of resigned ourselves to the fact that it's happening designated hitters going to go to the National League that's going to be a permanent thing I think that's going to be easy to work out. My question to you Randall, what do you think will be the, the biggest change that ends up passing. So something like an international draft or a salary cap, like what do you think will be the largest or most significant change that's going to come from the CBA?
0: I have two answers to that. I think they're going to institute a salary floor. And I think they're going to institute it poorly because I don't trust the league to quite handle something like that properly, but I think they're going to introduce a salary floor. And I think they're also going to change the structure of service time and free agency. I think they're going to find a way to get players to free agency sooner than that sixth season um and i think that's going to change how these young guys get to free agency and get their their big free agent contracts so i think those are the two big changes that i anticipate coming you guys already mentioned that the dh is probably coming I- i'm hoping and it seems like they're getting rid of the uh, the runner on second in extra innings it yeah. seems like that's going the wayside so that's my answer i think a salary floor and i think they're going to alter the structure of free agency
1: jeremy
2: I agree with Randall in terms of, I think they're going to change the service time. I I, I mean, people were arguing that last time and it ended up with nothing changing, but I, I do think they're going to change it, but I feel like it's not going to go. I don't think the players are going to get to free agency sooner. I think what's going to happen is they're going to pick like an age, like a 29 and a half or something. And that's just going to be it for everybody. And I actually think what you'll end up seeing is maybe players get called up sooner uh, because teams are going to have a, a less, you know, you can't call a guy up at like 24 and keep them for six years, 25. You might not. So you might see teams call up guys 21, 22, 23, younger. So they get more control over them. Um, the other thing I think uh, is that obviously the playoffs are going to change. Uh, I think that's going to be a pretty major change. I, I think uh, there's going to be an expand play. I actually don't think there's going to be a salary floor because I don't think the players want a salary floor. And so I think they're going to be vehemently against that. And so I think that's not going to happen. I don't think that'll fly.
1: All right. Well we'll, well, we'll see where it goes. Well, to your first point there, Jeremy, I think it is critical to get guys up to the majors as soon as possible. I don't know if uh, you know, the 29 and a half thing is necessarily the outcome or the best outcome for it, but I want to see teams incentivized for bringing players up. Not the thing like what the Cubs did with Bryant, where we're going to put you back in the minors for eleven days, and then you can come up and join the team. That that almost cost the Cubs a, a postseason appearance. It could have been the difference, maybe, in winning the division if he had been up for the entire time. Well, he
2: had a great seventh year for the Cubs, right? In twenty twenty one, he, he you know, really it, made it, the most of that year.
1: It, and that too, I mean, it it just it would be better if Major League Baseball got guys to the majors faster. I think it would also be better in terms of stealing talent from other professional sports leagues because i'm watching uh, arizona cardinals earlier tonight against uh, the green bay packers murray the quarterback a big baseball prospect you go you get drafted in the nfl you're playing either that first season or your second season if you're if you're a big time prospect like you're in there you're playing games that's far more appealing then toiling in the minor leagues for four, five, six years, hopefully not messing up your elbow, then you get to the majors and you still have five or six years before you're really going to get paid. Big-time free agent money. So if they can speed up guys getting to the majors, that maybe will incentivize some of these great athletes to play baseball instead of football or other sports. And I think that that's good for baseball moving forward.
2: I, I Yeah, I, I think that a huge pro, um, a huge deterrent to that in terms of guys playing baseball and going to football is something that i don't think i don't see changing is they cap they've capped pretty much all amateur spending now and started to really cap it and i don't i don't see them ever going back on that but you know back in the day you used to be able to just pay a guy however much you want and personally i i thought that was the best way to do it you know um i didn't i don't think there should be uh as many rules. I mean, I remember when they first they went to the slotting system, but that was just a recommendation. Then they went to a hard slotting system. Now, I mean, amateur talent in terms of international amateur, there's like a five million dollar cap on that, uh, where three, I mean Jorge Soler got like four times that or whatever. You know, I'm um So I, I I wish that would be something. And I know that those guys obviously are going to get the the most screwed are the amateur players. Um, because they don't have obviously no say at the table. They don't even have as much say as a minor league player who's in an organization. Um, so that's the, it's the easiest way to, to cut back to uh, it's the easiest thing for the major league players to trade is, you know, future payroll right future talent so uh, I, I, I don't see that happening but it would be nice if you know a guy like Kyler Murray if he wasn't restricted by being the Oakland A's ninth pick or whatever that you know back in the day they could pay a guy like that as much as they wanted to and maybe he would be more inclined to play baseball in, in that instead of play football which I mean if you're a first round quarterback you're gonna get paid a ton of money so it's it's hard to turn that down
0: Well, in the week since we last convened, of course, we've had the NLCS wrap up. Uh, The Braves could not get it done in game five at Dodger Stadium, but they took it back to Atlanta. They finished things off and they clinched uh, a pen. They clinched the National League pennant. And we have since started the World Series Braves and Astros. We broadcast at this point tonight with the series tied 1-1, headed back to Atlanta. Each team won a game in Houston. So I'm going to put you both on the spot here from two games. We've seen a huge sample size, obviously, enough to make an educated guess. Ronan, who takes this World Series in the end?
1: Well, I'm pulling for Atlanta. That's the team I want to see. I, Nobody I think wants Houston,
0: to see Houston win.
1: No, no. Um, I think Houston's a really good team. And I was worried when Atlanta couldn't take game two. I'm like, this is, this is bad. Going back, even though it's going to Atlanta for three, Atlanta hasn't lost a home playoff game this year. Houston's a very, very good team. They've got big-time hitters. I mean, both teams have plenty of pitching. Um, but so my fear is if, if I were to bet on this, I think Houston is going to do it, but I really would like to see Atlanta make it happen. Um, Atlanta's got some players on that team too that personally I just like. I want to see Jorge Soler get another title. I really liked the couple of months that we got with Jock Peterson. I wish that his time in Chicago could have gone on longer. I want to see him win it. And you know what? I like Frederick. I'd like to see him get a ring as well.
0: Yeah. I want to be able to say Jock Peterson of the 2021 Chicago Cubs wins the world series because it'll be factually accurate. I want to be able to say that, uh, Jeremy, who do you have
2: taking this world series in the end? I pretty much agree with Ronan, uh, with most of his thoughts there. Um, I am i I'm a little conflicted on Houston. Uh, I don't want to see Houston win, but I would like to see Dusty win. I would like to get Dusty a ring. I think that would be nice. Uh, Randall's shaking his head there, but I, I think it would be nice for Dusty to get a ring. Yeah, Where do we uh-huh.
0: where do we all sit on Dusty? Jeremy, I know you, obviously you just said you're, you're in favor. Ronan, where do Dusty. you sit on Dusty? I know my opinion. I'll leave that till the end. Ronan, are you pro-Dusty or anti-Dusty at this point?
1: You know, as I get older, I get softer. I used to hate Joe West. I don't hate Joe West anymore. I was kind of sad to see him go. I, I don't hate Dusty. I think time and distance was good for me and Dusty. Um, I'm bitter about what happened in 2003, more so even 2004. It obviously didn't end well in Chicago. I didn't like him at all when he was in Cincinnati. You know, Dusty's a lifer. He's done everything. It would be kind of romantic if he were to get his ring here and bring his career full circle. Um, there's a lot of reasons not to like Dusty Baker. One constant over the years, though, the players have always enjoyed playing for him, even if he wasn't great with strategy, even if he said a lot of stupid shit like when you walk, you're just clogging up the bases. Terrible quotes. You got to have
0: your horses, dude. You got to have your horses.
1: But he's been liked by his players, by and large. That was a big draw to get him to Chicago 20 years ago. So if Dusty does it, you know, good for him. What a career he's had. What a life he's had. And uh, baseball is going to be sad when guys like Joe West and Dusty Baker aren't around anymore. And, and unfortunately, we're very close to the end of that.
0: Well, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give him that. His players always seem to enjoy him, stand up for him, have his back and because they know he has their back. Even when it was clear that it wasn't going to work out here in Chicago, people love to say, well, he's a players manager. But you're you're both better individuals than me. People talk (laughs) about how, how much they'd love to see Dusty win a ring. It does absolutely nothing for me. I feel nothing. I'm dead inside when people mention it. it. It does nothing for me. I don't especially want to see him win a ring and write his own redemption narrative. It's possible that I'm in the wrong here. I will completely mm-hmm. admit that. It's possible that the, the the right way to think is to say, yeah, get Dusty his ring, but it does nothing for me. It does less than nothing for me. Wow. And un- unfortunately, I, I believe I agree with the both of you that I don't want the Astros to win this, but I think ultimately they're probably going to prove too much for the Braves. And that's unfortunate because it would be great to see uh, Soler win yeah. two rings uh, for a guy who he's had a rough career. He's had a lot of injuries. He's had a lot of ineffectiveness, even when he was healthy. It would be great to see him win a second ring. We all know where he won his first. But yeah, I do think the Astros are going to prove too much. And can we talk about Charlie Morton, Ronan? I see you want to mm-hmm. chime in. I can just we talk about Charlie one Morton? One thing on uh, yeah.
1: Soler before we, we get off that. What a like bipolar year he had as well. First half of the season. He was terrible absolutely horrible he goes to atlanta um, powers there walks shot up much much better player in atlanta and then to see him his first swing in the world series crushing it out to the crawford boxes in left field i think that's pretty cool and it's fun to see players who've struggled for a period of time figure it out and then excel at the highest level or on that biggest stage so there was a favorite in chicago i loved him when he hit the ball he hit the ball yeah. and he, he had, a, I remember he had a home run in St. Louis. I want to say it was
2: 2014, you think? 2014, yeah. late in 2014 yeah.
1: that September. I don't know that it's landed yet. I mean, he absolutely crushed it out to left field. And that was one of those moments towards the end of 2014 where we were all like, man, this is happening. Like this is really coming together and we know KB's coming next year and maybe they're going to spend some money here in free agency. So Lear was a big part of that and the excitement around it. So I'm pulling for him and Jock with the pearls. He's looking good. He's got the blonde hair. He's tearing score, ripping the ball out all, all over the place. There's a ton of X-Cubs playing in this world series, even if it's not maybe the biggest names you remember.
2: William Contreras, uh, not an X-Cub, but obviously a connection. I want to go back to Dusty just a tiny bit. Um, I, I One thing I like about Dusty is that I feel like he's evolved over time. Um, you know, he's not the same manager he was in Chicago. He, he doesn't, you know, a big thing about Dusty in Chicago, obviously with the critique on Dusty, um, holding the pitchers in too long, you know, throwing Mark Pryor and Kerry Wood and, and they pitched a lot of innings. They put through a lot of pitches. And when he got to Cincinnati, when he's been in Washington and now Houston, he evolved. He doesn't do that anymore that he's no longer that manager. So a lot of the criticisms of dusty that, uh, we're pretty much built up from that time in Chicago. You know, when this whole Sabre versus scouting, when those all kind of growing, you get that in your mind. He's changed. He's not really the same guy he was from then. So I respect that about Dusty. And he seems like, for the most part, a decent dude. And I don't know. I don't have room for hate in my heart here. I, I would like to see Dusty win. You
1: know, I don't know. Not the I, Astros,
2: I think, though, so I'm conflicted.
1: <laughs> I, I imagine at least one of you remembers this, but back when he was with the Reds, I interviewed Dusty Baker. Got a one-on-one interview with him as part of the Reds caravan. Came into Bloomington, Indiana when I was in college. I got five to ten minutes one-on-one with Dusty Baker. And for all the criticism, this was like two years after his Cubs time, right? Like the wounds were still very, very fresh. He was nice to me. He was pleasant to me. I had a nice little conversation with him. And he had a toothpick, even though it was the middle of December.
0: Of course he has a toothpick. He, he doesn't go anywhere without a toothpick. So I imagine he has uh, like a, like a hip holster that's just filled with a new toothpick. And every time he needs a new one, just presses a button and it, dispenses, in, it dispenses into his hand. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so Charlie Morton, the starting pitcher for the Braves, he pitches uh, an inning with a broken leg. He strikes out two on that broken leg and then has to come out of the game. And that's insane to me. You think of all the pushing off that a pitcher has to do with his legs to, to get the power on the pitches. A broken leg. And he's able to finish out the inning, which is insane.
1: Well, Randall, you're the expert here on lower body strength, uh, particularly the leg. And um, it is amazing what these athletes can do. And the fact that he was able to go back out there and pitch, obviously it took him out of the game and it ended his season, but um, adrenaline uh, Mm -hmm. uh, elite athletes is amazing. What you can accomplish under uh, normal circumstances that you wouldn't be able to do.
2: Yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say. The adrenaline rush is just incredible. I feel like Donovan McNabb had, he like broke his leg once in the middle of the game and he pretty much finished out like an entire drive and maybe even the game just playing on a broken leg. And then they announced like he was out for the year and it was, it was pretty incredible. And it it is just incredible what the, you know, when you're out there, you, you barely even feel it really. I mean, I'm, but obviously Morton eventually felt it when he was pitching because he went down in a lot of pain. But to be able to finish off the inning, be able to do that is pretty incredible. And and I feel for a guy like Charlie Martin, who's had a long career. Um, You know, he was in Philadelphia, he was in Pittsburgh and he struggled. He was in Atlanta and he struggled and then he became a great pitcher in Tampa and Houston. And so to go back to Houston for where he's trying to pitch again um, and to win the World Series, it would be nice for him to win one over the Astros. But uh, yeah, that was pretty amazing. And it's amazing to see what these guys were able to accomplish when they're just they're just out there. And they I mean, you see it with Max Scherzer. He's so into the game or whatever. A guy like that, you're not even paying attention to what's going on with your body. They just compete.
1: Yeah, it's it's just a whole different level. It's very why you watch. It's so impressive to see these people do it, especially the guys with longevity like a Scherzer.
2: Yeah, definitely. It's just absolutely nuts.
0: Well, nobody knows adrenaline like us as podcast hosts. So, you know, yeah, nobody's nobody's going to say we're not the experts on that.
2: We never know what the next word's going to be. We're always on the edge of our seat. We're ready. Absolutely, we're-
0: absolutely, it's a it's really? a white knuckle experience. You black
2: here. out. You're just in the zone, man, the when you're speaking.
0: Speaking of suspense, uh, it's time to bring back a fan favorite segment. We have not done one of these in quite some time. It's time to bring bring back the old box score. I have a box score from a Cubs game in front of me, and I'm going to see if Jeremy and Ronan can guess who the opponent might be, when the game is from, and what is significant about it. So we're going to okay. leave this one off tonight. I'm going to tell you that Kerry Wood started this game for the Chicago Cubs.
1: That's a good start.
0: It is yeah. a good start. Any, anytime you mention Kerry Wood starting a game, usually it's a good start.
2: I do love Kerry Wood.
0: Absolutely. Uh, elsewhere in this game for the Cubs was Sammy Sosa. Any guesses yet? Any, any thoughts forming, any clouds, clouds coming together in the mind storm?
1: Well, was this the game we were at, or is this just a great Cubs game? And this Rome? is
0: a thematically appropriate Cubs game. We were not present for this game, okay, or at least I sense. was not present. You two you, two, you two, you two might've been, but it is thematically appropriate. Okay. Uh, I I mean is it a like
2: a 03 playoff game in Atlanta? Well,
0: Jeremy's Jeremy's on the right track as Jeremy so often is. He's like a bloodhound. He gets that scent and he's right on it. Ronan, game 5? You are you game are you're real close, Ronan. You're you're real close. Just keep it keep keep thinking. Game 1? <laughs> Again, I can't get anything past the two of you. This is game 1 yeah. of the 2003 NLDS and it felt thematically appropriate. You had the Braves The Game was played in Atlanta at old Turner field and to uh, piggyback off our last discussion, Dusty Baker, of course, was in the dugout for this game. So yes, of course, this is game one of the 2003 national league division series, the Cubs first playoff game since 1998. And if I'm not mistaken, their first ever game in the national league division series, as the last time the Cubs had made the playoffs prior to that, there was no division series. You went straight to the championship series. They're uh, yeah. So Some noteworthy things in this game, of course, Kerry Wood started for the Cubs. Russ Ortiz was the opposing Mm -hmm. starting pitcher in this game. Julio Franco got a pinch hit appearance in this game in 2003. I don't know how old he was. He may have only been 60 or so Mm -hmm. at the time of this game. And Kenny Lofton, of course, leading off in center field. All your favorites from the 2003 team were in this game. Teros, Gonzalez, Randall Simon got a pinch hit. Ramon Martinez came into play shortstop. So all of your favorite 2003 Cubs were in this game. And of course they won it four to two. Kerry Wood, I believe, got the, he did, he got the win in this game, pitching seven innings, allowing only two runs, walking five, but striking out 11. Uh, And a bunch of fan favorites, especially this podcast, Pitched in Relief, Mike Remlinger, Kyle Farnsworth mm. and of course Joe Borowski closing it out. That's right, with a scoreless ninth inning, striking out three for the Cubs' first playoff win in a number of years.
2: And I believe Kerry also had a RBI double in that game. You are you are correct, Jeremy. Kerry
0: Wood went two for four in that yeah. game, two RBIs and a run score. Oh, two RBIs, in, yes, two RBIs, including as you pointed out accurately, a run scoring double off the left field wall yeah. uh, to score. I'm sorry, two, it was a two run double. Uh, To score Ramirez and to score Caro. So, Kerry Wood, of course, a great hitter in addition to a great pitcher.
2: Well, I can't get in. I'm sorry? I was going to say Kerry Wood won that game. I mean, that was an incredible game. I remember, I remember, I was thinking about this the other day um, about how, you know, because we were watching games in Atlanta about how uh, the Braves used to not be able to like sell out at playoff games, especially early round playoff games in Atlanta, because they were just in it every year and nobody cared. And so I remember thinking how empty it was for game one of the playoffs. And I remember all the Cubs fans that were down there, there were a ton of Cubs yep. fans down there at, at Turner field. No three. And, I, and speaking, cause that the chop has been such a big deal. I remember all the Cubs fans doing the chop with their Cubs hats just to mock the Braves fans down there. So it was kind of a big thing. Well, I remember. They,
1: they did it at Wrigley too. Yeah. That Friday night game Maddox prior game three. Great game. Wrigley field, a Friday night game an amazing game. I was at that ball game. Um, 40,000 Cubs fans doing the Tomahawk chop just to mock them. Right. I was part of it. I was definitely right in the middle of that. Um, the thing about Kerry Wood, though, all the great accomplishments in his career, the 20-strikeout game, just everything that he did in his time as a Cub, coming back, being a closer at the end. I don't know what was more badass than in 2003, winning Game 1 and Game 5 on the road in Atlanta to secure the first Cubs playoff victory, a you know, series victory. You know, it, it, was, it was incredible. And Atlanta was a different franchise at that point. They had the Greg Maddox's of the world. They were a phenomenal team coming off of a great era where they were consistently in the playoffs. That was a huge statement for the Cubs. A team that has been competitive many seasons in the last 20 years, Kerry Wood was a big part of it. And that's why when they won it in 2016, it was awesome to see Kerry Wood in the middle of the celebration, getting champagne. You know, Kerry Wood is, as, for me, as big as anybody. In terms of the Chicago Cubs. I'm so happy he's going to be around the organization for the rest of his life. He represents so much, especially in my era of growing up as a Cubs fan of why I love this franchise and why I love this team to win game one and five in Atlanta against those teams. That was so badass. And uh, just one of the great, great
2: moments that carry Wood had as a Cub he basically won that series for the most part. Like he was offensively, defensively, he was the guy. And unfortunately it seemed like that was kind of the end of it because in the Marlins series, he seemed kind of gassed and he seemed kind of out of it. He obviously lost game seven. He didn't really pitch as well. Um, he had an awesome Homer, which was, I was at that one. And that was an amazing moment. But, uh, but also you're talking about the Braves, you know, it's big to, to the Cubs lost to the Braves in 98. He got swept. So he's come right back out there. I know it's five years later, but to go pretty much a similar Braves team um, to go back out there and to, you know, beat them up a little bit, able to win in five, the first uh, playoff series, the Cubs won since 1908. Um, mm-hmm. uh, was the 2003. Um, so that was just an awesome, uh, awesome year and awesome, uh, thing. And for Kerry Wood, he was part of, you know, I love this. He was part of four Cubs playoff teams. That's a lot. I, up until this era, nobody really, you know, maybe back in the 1930s, nobody had ever really been able to accomplish that. So I, I always thought Kerry Wood was a major deal. He was a major part of the Cubs organization. So I, I put some respect on that name, which yeah. is why I think that number 34 to me will always be Kerry Wood.
0: And real quick, you know, we, we, Ronan, I know you're a big Jersey guy. You, you love the jerseys. You love wearing them. You love other telling other people to wear them. It, it's hard to pick a named. It's hard to pick a named Jersey these days, just because you're, you're so worried a guy's going to get traded or end up on the T te- off the team a year later. I think if you needed a named Jersey to buy into wear, I think a Carrie Wood number 34 is probably a good choice. And I think that probably ages real well going forward. Carrie uh, Wood. Classic. Carrie Wood never goes out of style. Absolutely.
1: The problem you run into now, though, is with the Nike contract. A Kerry Wood Nike Cubs jersey, like that, that doesn't sit well. It's anachronistic. It's It's anachronistic. Although if
0: you think about it, well, not necessarily. Uh, 2003 would have still been a Russell year. So if we're talking specific to 2003, even a majestic jersey would have been anachronistic in that regard. But I don't think anybody is quite detail-oriented enough to care about that. But you're right. A Kerry Wood number 34 jersey with that Nike swoosh on the shoulder, it doesn't look good. No, it wouldn't. No, no, it's just not good. Would be good. Well, unfortunately, our preferred football team of the BTYL podcast did not have a particularly good weekend. They went down to Ronan's former city of residence, Tampa Bay, and they got their shit handed to them by future yeah. Hall of Famer Tom Brady and his Buccaneers. The Buccaneers hoisted the Jolly Roger and pillaged the Bears and did various other pirate like things to them. It was unfortunate. Uh, you know, I, I think we all agreed that it was going to be a rough game on the road for the Bears, and so it was. Is there any hope of of finding something to be happy about when they welcome the 49ers in this Sunday? Anything?
1: Yeah, I, I think they're going to win Sunday, actually. I think they're going to beat the 49ers, a team that the last couple of weeks they've had some nationally televised games and they don't really look very good, to be honest with you. Um, I think there one thing that could come from this, maybe I'm just trying to be optimistic here, is a little bit of the players saying, like, we're better than this, especially quarterback wide receiver combos and kind of figuring out maybe in spite of the coaching staff or to spite the coaching staff. In some cases, Um, I think they're going to win this weekend. I think the bears are still going to be a competitive team moving forward, but Sunday was a complete and utter embarrassment. And if the bears as an organization had any respect or any real sense of urgency, I would have loved to see coach Nagy left in Tampa Bay and you're done. Right put the offensive coordinator and coach of the team the rest of the way, figure it out in the offseason. What I think is going to happen is Nagy's going to coach this team to the end of the year, then he's going to be fired, and then we're going to go through this whole rigmarole. Their Bears are not going to win football games with Matt Nagy as the head coach. They're not going to win significant football games, I guess is what I'm trying to say. They're not going to win a Super Bowl with Matt Nagy as the head coach. So what are we waiting for? The Bears were completely outperformed. They were outprepared by a, clearly a much better team, but still, they were never in that ballgame. There was no chance from the opening kickoff, and the head coach needs to go.
0: You wanted to give Nagy the old Lane Kiffin, huh? Just leave him right there on the tarmac.
1: There, it's, there's nothing there that's trending in the right direction, and the entire investment now is in this quarterback. Uh, I think he's a very talented quarterback. I, I think that when, it's just it's a mess. You, you watch teams, and I've been watching a lot of Sunday night and Monday night football, and there are a ton of talented quarterbacks in the National Football League right now. It seems like most teams have a competent quarterback. The Bears' offense is so lifeless. You know what plays are coming. If they're not working, they continue to do the same thing. They're a poorly prepared team, and they get their ass handed to them routinely. So they're not going to win with Matt Nagy. So we can let him coach out the year and then fire him and then go get somebody else. Or you could, you know, try to, light, try to make something happen this year. Even if it's a nine-win team that gets in as the last wildcard team, it's just it's really bad football. It's really bad football and it starts with the head coach.
2: I'm yeah, I'm, I'm a little, uh, optimistic about this week. Uh, and I've been a guy who's been pretty much negative for the most part about the bears. Uh, I, I do think that they'll be able to, uh, beat the 49ers team that, you know, as you mentioned, hasn't been looking good Jimmy Garoppolo's got some issues. I mean, they have Trey Lance, but, uh, I'm a little worried though about, uh, Justin Fields, uh, cause he has not looked good. And, uh, Obviously, a lot of it is play calling, a lot of it is the offensive line. is terrible. There's been a lot of issues. And I'm not sure if this situation that they have right now is the best for Justin Fields. I I was never a guy who was like, let's we have to force Justin Fields in there. I always thought, you know, you know, Andy Dalton's a perfectly capable quarterback. I thought, you know, he might if he it wouldn't be a I wouldn't have a problem if he was starting and Fields was just learning and on the backup. And at points, especially in that game last week, I was pretty much like put Dalton in. I there's no reason for Justin Fields to be out here getting his ass kicked and not looking at anything and and he struggled he struggled he's he's not performing as well as Mitch performed uh in you know when Mitch was a rookie under John Fox like he's been worse so i he's kind of not looking all that great and it, and you know it's early but you know you do see some other quarterbacks that are um you know performing a little bit better now they're more stable situations like Mac Jones in New England but i i would like i, I it's just enough to put some doubt in my mind and hmm. so i i i, I I was never like, he's a rookie, you know, he's got to learn. I I don't, I never thought that Justin Fields was going to come out here and dominate. Um, I thought that was kind of a misguided thought. So if Andy Dalton has to be the guy for this year, I I would not have a problem with that.
0: Yeah. Jeremy, my concern is that what is right now, clearly the fault of the coaching staff and some of the supporting cast around him. My concern is that that snowballs and it ends up affecting him and becoming a Justin Fields problem. He's not set up to succeed right now. We've spent the last five minutes pointing that out. He does not have a coaching staff that's set up for him to succeed. He does not have an offensive line that's set up for him to succeed. He – right now doesn't really have a receiving core that's set up for him to succeed. He's had so few reps with your, your first team offense in Allen Robinson and, and uh, Darnell Mooney because for whatever reason, they only gave him so many of those snaps in preseason, which another great decision by this coaching staff. I'm, I'm worried that that's going to snowball into something much, much worse than simply a difficult situation for him right now. And I'm also worried that this offensive line is going to get him broken in half.
1: Well, that's the worry. That's the worry to me is an injury. He's got the shortest amount of time after the snap before there's pressure on him and he's getting hit. And he's not the biggest guy in the world. He's also um, a mobile quarterback. So when he's scrambling or running, he's liable to get hit if he doesn't get down. So that's the fear. I'm less worried that Coach Nagy is so incompetent that he's going to ruin Justin Fields unless it's an injury situation where he's put in a spot where he shouldn't be on the field and he gets hit and then he gets messed up from it. I think if Justin Fields is a legitimate quarterback, he'll be able to overcome a year of this ridiculous head coaching circumstance that he's in with Chicago right now. Um, but injuries are a concern. And yeah, Jeremy, you're right. I think there was a point in this game where, this game this past weekend, where it's like, look, the game's over. The Bears aren't moving the football. We don't need him to get hurt. He could have come out at times in that second half. So as long as he stays healthy, I think Justin Fields is going to be fine, but he's going to be fine under a different head coach. So we can do it now and let the OC ride out the year, or we can wait until December, have a seven or maybe eight win season, six, seven, eight win season, and then fire the coach and do it all over again in the off season. And I bet that's the way it goes.
2: I just didn't understand. Like, to me, they had prepped the whole year for Andy Dalton being the guy. I think that was pretty clear. And then he got hurt and fields came in and fields played. Okay. I mean, he didn't like dominate. And then I was kind of expecting Annie Dalton to be the guy again. And when he was coming back and it didn't make sense to me, it was like, you had this plan and then fields came in and it was kind of like, okay, we're off this plan. Now, now we're on to this other plan. I mean, unless they'd seen Justin Fields dominating, like in practice that didn't make really much sense to me because now he's out there and he doesn't seem to be, it, it seems to be a difficult situation for him. And I'm not sure if having him out there is the best. Maybe it is the best thing. I don't know. Maybe getting the experience and playing and going through that is the best. But uh, to me, I I just think that Dalton might be the better guy for the situation. Because, I mean, Fields, I don't know. I I hope he succeeds. I want to see him do well. And I don't think he's being utilized properly. I don't understand why they don't run more like option plays like, you know, Baltimore does for Lamar Jackson. I think that would be a thing. Uh, unfortunately he has no time. I, I mean, fields is not like a, a decent quick, like the quick, uh, passer, you know, uh, you know, short passer, quick passer, and that's all the bears can call because they're also line blows. Cause everybody gets in there so fast. So it's kind of a catch 22. Like they can't do this and they can't do that. Um, but I don't know. He just had, he struggled a lot and that's concerning to me. And I, I, I don't know if I would just feel more comfortable with him just kind of stay, taking a step back and learning from the sideline and just seeing what Andy Dalton has to do.
1: Well, something to watch with fields. And he mentioned this to the media in the last two weeks or so. I thought it was a really good point. He's never lost before until yes. now with Chicago. I mean, you think he would have been a, a high level, uh, what peewee football player back in the day, by the time he was getting to high school, it was obvious he was an elite talent He goes to ohio state one of the great football programs in the country this guy hasn't lost he's probably never lost in his life in the football field now he's experiencing it in the national football league so an optimist will look at that and say well he's going to grow from this he's going to learn and mature from losing he's going to maybe be motivated by the pain of losing that i don't want to feel this way anymore i want to be a champion maybe that's going to be good for him but i'm going i'm curious to see sort of how he takes that moving forward what if this thing spirals out of control and the bears lose six, seven weeks in a row and guys are getting hurt. How will he take it then when we're getting ourselves deep into December and the season's a lost cause?
2: Yeah, it was pretty it was incredible. Lost- it was pretty incredible last week, like against Tampa. I I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, say some things here that, you know, you can all mock me for or whatever, but I actually did not turn this game on right away at three I, I, I missed a little bit because I was too busy catching up on the incredible race at down there in Coda and Austin and Awful. seeing the, the great F one drives between Lewis Hamilton master staff. And Max Verstappen. I was like, okay, this is going to be a blowout. Anyways, I'm going to be, let me just get the end of this drive in and then I'll flip it over. By the time I flip over, it's like 14, nothing, like yeah. five minutes into the first quarter fields has like two turnovers. And I'm like, what, what just happened? Like, I mean, <laughs> I know the bucks are good. I have Randall's going on, on a limb. there, saying that Tom Brady's going to be a future hall of famer. We'll, we'll see about that. But, uh, <laughs> it's a little, But, uh, you know, I I couldn't believe that they were down so big. And then they got down 20. And then the second half was almost the worst because, what was there, three points scored basically in the second half? So it was just horrible. And that was just an incredibly awful game. Well,
0: uh, I don't often say this. Hopefully Ronan is right and they're able to rebound against the visiting San Francisco 49ers Mm -hmm. this week. Jeremy, season ticket holder, will you be out there this week? I will be out there. I All right. You'll be out there on Halloween Sunday.
2: So hopefully – you yeah, Jeremy, you gonna up? be in costume out there? I will be in costume as myself. Wow. Uh, okay, boo. that's that, that's boo. that's a, that's well, a I've, I've used that costume pretty much since uh, you know I was seven. It, it frightens all the children. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, hopefully, <I> that. <laughs> hopefully on
0: Halloween Sunday, it is not too scary for the Chicago Bears. Uh, we'll touch real quick on one more Chicago team before What's,
1: we. Well, hold on, Randall. What is your costume this uh, Halloween? Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, my costume. Uh, I will not need one, fortunately. I'm going to, um, take Halloween off. I'm going to take Halloween and I'm you're going taking to relax. It off. So I'm going to, I'm you're going to go it. as, I'm going to go you're as somebody who is You're not houses
2: relaxing. this year? Hanging any houses? Ah, if you're well, taking you know, off this year?
0: You know, a, a big TPer of houses that I am, uh, I'm going to take this year off. I think we've all had kind of a, a difficult year. I'm Guys, question. This...
2: What is the best thing you ever dressed up as though?
0: What is the best thing I ever dressed up as? That's real easy. One year I took a very large, um, kind of flat square box I cut uh, a place for my head I cut a place for my hands and my arms to go and I covered it in wrapping paper and I was a present I was a gift to the world
1: oh wow that's, you're yeah. you're always a gift you're to the always gold. a gift you're already yeah but I gotta say me. to the two of you it's a no fun zone here with no Jeremy fun zone
2: Randall. Well, Jim, because know,
1: you're a little bit older oh I can't enjoy I can't I, dress I, up. I've been Halloween. this way
2: since I was seven years old man I hate well, dressing up probably
1: I well I will be carrying the weight For this podcast, I got a concert Saturday night, great venue here in Denver. I have gotten, I wore this a couple weeks ago on the podcast. I have a bear onesie and I put my, uh, Russell Sammy Sosa Jersey from 2001 or whatever year that thing's from on top of it. And I'm basically Clark, the cub. So I'm going to this concert Saturday night Pants or no pants onesie. Oh, there are pants, but I, but it's the, the, well, let me, let me, uh, let me clarify that. It's pants for me because it's the bottom half of the onesie, but there are no pants. It is the bottom of a bear. So it is Clark with a Sammy Sosa jersey that I'll be wearing to uh, the old Cervantes music venue here Saturday night. So I'll be carrying the weight for the show. Always an opportunity to dress up. Life's short. Have fun with it. Halloween's a good time. You got good music. You got good weather. You got the World Series going on, and everybody's giving out candy. What else do you want? Ronan,
0: it's good to know that you're going to be exercising your right to the 99th Amendment, the right to bear costumes. Uh, We'll touch on one more Chicago team, if I can stop laughing, uh, before we start to bring it home today. The Chicago Bulls are back. I'm declaring them back. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm very bad at this. I'll probably be proven wrong in another week or so, but they are back. They are 5-1. and one. Unfortunately, that one loss came tonight against the visiting New York Knicks, coached by Tom Thibodeau with Derek Rose and Todd Gibson in tow for Joakim Noah night at the United Center. Just about every former Bull of note from the last 10 years was in attendance either at some sort of pre-party last night or at the game tonight. Some some real names out there, guys like Kirk Heinrich, guys like Omer Ashik, all in attendance to honor their former teammate. Uh, but the Bulls have been fun to watch this year. Ronan, you've got that Bulls toque, that Bulls winter hat on as we record. You know, I don't think any of us are real big NBA guys, but I think when the Bulls are worth the attention, I think we can all be convinced to be big Bulls guys. So Ronan, have you caught any games from your perch out there in Denver?
1: So I haven't seen the Bulls yet this year, but I will get to it. i am certainly uh, been following the hype online a little bit. I've been meaning to look at when they're coming to Denver. They get out here twice a year. I want to get to one of them at least and, and see the team in person. I haven't been to a Bulls game in a decade, back when um, it was a much better time with the Chicago Bulls. but Milwaukee. Yeah, when we were up in Milwaukee. Um, but it got me thinking, you know, 10 years ago, with, with Noah coming back, I saw Luol Dang was in the stadium. I saw uh, Kirk Heinrich you were saying Randall was out at the United center the other day. It got me thinking those were some good bulls teams about a decade ago. And had they not had the knee injury to Derek Rose, there was a chance to win a national, a world championship in there. They had to get past LeBron. That was a big ask, certainly at that time, but that was a well-coached team with Tibbs. They had very talented players and they had one of the best players in the league pre-injury in Derek Rose. So Kind of looking back on that going, I hope that this new Bulls era is as exciting as that was. And they don't have to worry about LeBron, at least until the finals now. So maybe they can make it happen and maybe we'll see a world championship in the next couple of years.
0: Ronan, the Bulls will be coming to visit you Friday, November 19th out there at Lonzo Ball Arena in Denver. So start getting your tickets now. It's going to be a hot ticket.
1: Well, I was at Ball Arena the other night for an NHL game, and I was thinking this will be fun for an NBA game and uh, just to see how the sport has changed in the last decade. I haven't been to the United Center in a very long time, over a decade at this point. So, I'm Chicago. Nice I'll hook you there up at some point.
2: Get some Blackhawks games in because that's a real ticket. That's
1: a hot man. commodity right but now. A real huh? ticket in demand
2: right now. <laughs> uh, I got, you know, right. I had 10 games. and Yeah. Um, uh, for the Bulls, I, I've watched a little bit. Um, not a lot. Uh, I've seen a couple from a couple games. I watched the game at the end of the game against Toronto the other day and I watched opening night against Detroit. And uh, I, I made a point to watch, you know, when my boy IO was out there doing work, scoring four points in four minutes, doing a lot of things. So I, I, I think that's the reason the bulls are good. To be honest, I think it's all just been mm-hmm. IO to and you know, they've been out there winning, but it, I like Billy Donovan. I've always thought he was a great coach down there in the university of Florida. So I thought that was a, a remarkable hire when they were able to get Billy Donovan and, you know, if the Bulls do well. That would be nice. It would be great for the city, obviously. I haven't been like super into it um, yet. I don't know. Maybe I will. Um, but for Bulls fans that have been in there, into it, long suffering Bulls fans, I think it's awesome for them, yeah. um, you know, to have something to cheer for. I, I'm a little skeptical. I know they went out this offseason and they made some moves. I'm still a little skeptical that, you know, some of these moves are the type of moves that are really going to put them towards the elite. Uh, teams in the NBA, but I'm not like a huge NBA guy, so what do I know? Uh, Lonzo Ball, you know, uh if he turned into a great shooter, which maybe he has, uh, th- you know, I was always kind of skeptical of him because he couldn't shoot, but maybe he's a good shooter now. And DeMar DeRozan coming out from Toronto always seemed like kind of like a high, high volume guy, but who knows? I don't know. Um, so it's nice to see the Bulls being a, compa- a competitive and successful team, because that's a team that should always be a competitive and successful team. There's no reason for the Bulls not to be.
1: Especially in a league where every damn team makes the playoffs. Like how yeah. bad the Bulls have been is I mean, a stain on Jerry. and because yeah, nobody wanted to sign end. here because no, of what happened for...
2: at the end of the 90s.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that, I mean, that's a long time ago, but ownership hasn't changed. And the Bulls are have been a very poorly run organization. And um, it's good, it's good though for the NBA when the Bulls are are good. It's good for Chicago when the United Center is full. That place gets loud. People like Bulls basketball. It's still a very, very popular brand internationally. If you get outside of the United States and you mention Chicago, people still talk about MJ. You'll see Bulls hats and jackets all over Europe, all over the world. And Denver. and denver yeah i i, I got well, it I'm on I'm walking wearing, down yeah, the street wearing, i got people them. coming up to me normally what i hear here is go cubs i always got cubs something on and there's tons of cubs fans but recently it's the hey go bulls and it's like wow there's some hype around this team again um make it interesting make it fun and maybe i'll uh put a game on one of these nights yeah
0: you know i'm excited to have a team to watch this winter the bears we, we've discussed at length what they are the blackhawks of course are dealing with no end of terrible terrible problems uh off the ice to say nothing of what's going on on the ice and we know what the mlb offseason is going to look like can be messy at best i'm excited to have a a team to watch uh this winter and you know knock on wood i hope i'm not jinxing them i hope they stay fun and competitive throughout the winter and and the late winter in the spring and i'm excited to have that to entertain myself with because it can Yes, Jeremy. I was going to say, you could watch some Illini basketball. They're going to be damn good. This I winter. sure could do that, Jeremy. That's definitely a thing I could do. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited. I'm excited to have a team to watch this winter. And, you know, it's, it's fun when the Bulls are good. They're going to be damn Two good, more, man. Damn good. Two more quick pieces oh, yeah. of Kofi. news around MLB before we bring it home tonight. Two new managers hired in the last week or so. The Cardinals have given their managerial job to Mike Schultz, former bench coach, Oliver Marmol. no relation to Carlos, uh, real quick primer on him he, at age 35, he will be the youngest manager in MLB and a, a fun bit of trivia. He was drafted just ahead of Rizzo, a couple of picks ahead of Anthony Rizzo in 2007. He was a minor league player in their system, went straight to being a minor league coach, uh, then to a major league coach. And now he is their manager. Worst of luck. I'm sorry, best of luck to Oliver Marmol in his new job. And then just before we recorded tonight, the San Diego Padres made news by hiring Bob Melvin, veteran manager away from the Oakland Athletics. The Athletics allowed him to be interviewed for the job and they allowed him to take the job despite having just picked up his contract option at the end of the season. No compensation will be going from the Padres to the Athletics. So this is not a trade, as you so often see for permission to hire a manager away. The A's are basically dumping his $4 million salary um, to, to save a little bit of money. And that's, that's unfortunate. You know, my most recent Bob Melvin opinion is that he managed that 2007 diamondbacks team that swept the Cubs in the first round. And so for that, he can go to hell, but I, (laughs) I don't have an opinion more recent than that. And he seems well-regarded around the game. And it seems like that's what the
2: Padres needed after a very, very rough season. I like Bob Melvin. I, I, I always thought he was a good manager, especially in Oakland. I feel like he had some sort of like, he was like a foodie and, I really like Chicago as a food city, so or I could be making that up, but I always kind of remember that. Um, and it's I, I feel like Bob Melvin got the word from up high that basically because oh, they have a lot of free agents. They have a lot of guys getting arbitration raises this offseason that Oakland's kind of, you know, doing their Oakland thing. And hey, this might not be a year where we're really going to compete, you know, moving. We're going to try to move some pieces out. And I think Bob Bob Mellon saw the writing on the wall there and was like, OK, I, I need to find a, a land because I'm sure he would have been fine to come back and manage in Oakland. But I think he saw that, like, this team's not going to be competitive next year. There's an open spot in San Diego. Uh, I could go there. Um, but uh, and then the other thing being, um, you know, think about the Mets. Like if maybe if they had a GM, they could have, you know, actually hired a good manager like Bob Melvin over there or something, who knows they're being turned down left and right. So uh, I, I, it was, it's interesting to see a guy like that just kind of jump ship and and go down South and go to San Diego.
1: Well, he's one of the more respected managers in the sport and he gets to go take on the most talented young player in the sport with Tatis, a team that was cruising up until mid July or so things fell apart for San Diego. Another note from this is, you know, San Diego goes from, a younger former player type manager to an older guy. And the trend in baseball right now is sort of the opposite, bringing in the young recently former player, even like what the Cardinals did with Marmol. So that's a different look. I think this is going to work well for San Diego. I think they're going to be a playoff bound team next season, and it should be fun to watch Melvin with that young eclectic clubhouse that they have there and see if he can turn them into a winner.
2: Yeah, uh, that was supposed to be what they were hiring last time before they hired Jay's Tingler. AJ probably said, well, I'm going to go out and get a veteran manager, a guy who's been experienced, knows what he's doing. And they didn't do it. They hired his best bud, Tingler, and they kind of struggled. And now people are like, OK, are you actually going to do it this time? And he, and he does it with Melvin. The interesting thing to me is that they hired their pitching coach before they hired their manager. But the fact that they hired their manager so fast makes me think that after that, that maybe Melvin had some word in that before it was announced, but that still was kind of an interesting, you know, thought. And, and I agree with you. I think Bob Melvin's going to work out very well in San Diego. Uh, it seems like kind of a perfect fit there. It seemed like the type of guy they really needed because they had some issues at the end of the year, you know, um, they obviously, you know, sputtered towards the end of the year and, and they had some, clubhouse blowups some guys not getting along um so i think a veteran steady presence like bob melvin would be good for them
0: well that's certainly the hope of the padres jay singler didn't work out and the, you know the word was he had kind of lost that clubhouse and they're certainly hoping that bob melvin can be that stabilizing presence they need he can bring together uh, what's still a very talented team and hopefully they can maximize that roster in a way they were not able to do this year
1: randall i got a question before we bring this thing home Cause I didn't think you'd ask it and it needs to be asked. And cause I'm in a Halloween mood. I know neither of you care about Halloween or wish to celebrate it.
2: Worst holiday there is.
1: No, not even close. Oh, completely. Not even close.
2: I, I hate Halloween the most.
1: You hate Halloween more than Valentine's.
2: Day. I'm not a candy guy. Oh, Valentine's day sucks. But I'll, I'll, and the three worst <laughs> holidays, three worst holidays in my mind, Halloween, New Year's Eve, Valentine's Day. Those wow. three holidays, terrible. Wow. I was never a candy guy, so I didn't like Halloween to begin with anyway. I'm like, dress well, up then, candy.
1: I don't like any of this stuff. Well, then this question isn't for you. Although so I do like, not want pie. your answer. I don't want your answer on this, Jeremy. Randall, best Halloween candy.
0: Oh, that's easy. Kit Kat bars. It's not even close. Kit-Kat.
1: See, Kit-Kats. you're wrong. Yeah, wow. Reese's. You take the Reese's and you put it in the freezer. And I must say, regular sized Reese's. Not the jumbo Reese's no. where they cram in too much peanut butter. Not the bite sized Reese's. A normal Reese's. In the freezer is the best candy. Uh I Halloween like time. So Ronan, I about. respect
0: that because there is, of course, a lot of value in the frozen Reese's, but I, I think Kit Kat still reigns supreme. I think you get a little bit of everything in a Kit Kat. And again, I like Reese's. I'm not I'm not discounting the value of a Reese's, but Kit Kat still reigns supreme for me.
1: Frozen Random? Kit Kat also break. very good.
0: Frozen Kit Kat, also very good. Yes. Most you most like candies frozen. Most chocolate candies, most candy bars, will benefit from going in the fridge or the freezer because I think that enhances the flavor. Now I'll tell you what you don't want to do: you don't want to put gummy candy, and I know Ronan, I know you're big on uh, gummies, but uh, you don't want to put you don't want to put gummy gummies Venus in the freezer. And I'll tell you this: I've learned this from a lot of years of putting gummy worms on frozen yogurt because of course it's in the toppings bar it doesn't work yeah. It, yeah it doesn't help the texture don't do it don't put your gummies in the freezer whatever kind of gummies they are but chocolate bar is absolutely in the freezer jeremy what's your top candy how i know you're not a big halloween guy pretend i didn't ask it in a
2: halloween context what's your favorite candy well uh, if pepsi. you know me yeah well not pepsi i, mean, I would prefer coke but ron ron should obviously you guys should actually know this i know uh, i know you're i'm jeremy, a chocolate I... guy so a hershey's milk chocolate bar all right. You know what? That's, that's a good call. You, you that's
0: can't I like. go wrong with the old staple. Well, we could spend all night discussing the virtues of certain candies, the way we talk about certain ball players and certain teams. We'll save that for another edition, but that'll bring us home on this edition of Behind the Yellow Line, episode number 42. We're slowly moving towards that landmark 50th edition, which I look very forward to. Again, follow us on Twitter at Podcast. You can find us there, the latest edition of our podcast. You can give us your opinions. You can give us your thoughts. You can just give us a hello. whatever you like. For Jeremy Spector, for Ronan O'Shea, I'm Randall Sanders. Thank you for listening. We'll be with you again next week on Behind the Yellow Line.